Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. this morning will be taken from the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, and the first three verses, and then the 13th chapter, Romans 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he is saying to the church, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And then 13, 11. Besides this, you know what hour it is, how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is foregone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly, as in the day, not in reviling and drunkenness, nor in debauchery and licentiousness, in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lord, help us to understand what Paul is trying to tell us about our response to you today. And Paul said, it is time for us to wake up. Well, it's time to get started. There is a happening within our city that has already started and will be going on with the climax somewhere next Saturday. And that is something that, to my surprise, in my limited travels about this world of ours, is the one event that is known more perfectly uh, than any other event about the state of Kentucky. I remember while in the service overseas, running into those people, I'd tell them where I was from. would say, oh yes, we know, there's where the horse race takes place, the Kentucky Derby. And wherever you might go, you're going to find those people that you tell them where you're from, and all probability they're going to identify the city by this most famous race that we have here. Millions of dollars are spent, of course. Well, the most beautiful section of our country is geared to catering to this type of thing and, and the beautiful bluegrass section of our country. It's a great thing for a lot of people, it seems. Sometimes, those of us who shouldn't be over our betting to start with, you know, but I remember so well over at, at Auburn Park. The eight years that I was there, I think I count up six out of the eight years that I was there, the Sunday morning after the race, that someone would leave within the offering plate a hundred dollar bill. And I always figured it this way, and that he must have been over to races and, and something he had no business doing, and this was his conscience money. Well, <laughs> we used it to a great advantage, whatever the situation might have been. But they tell me the one of the most important people in this great event is the man that starts this most famous race. 
And I guess when you stop to think about it, that's a fact. That it's up to this person to see that everything is ready, everything is in order, and now it's ready to ready to open the gate and, and start the race. And it can't be done until he pulls the switch or does whatever he's supposed to do in order that it be started. And so I suppose in a sense that he is the most important person as far as this event that takes place within our city is concerned. He He's a very important person to that race. He is the key man. He is the starter. I suppose that's true wherever you want to find the situation. Uh, that's where something needs to be done. And I was talking to a businessman, a lawyer here, not too many weeks ago, and he was greatly disappointed because he had bought into some situation around our city here where another mall was supposed to be developed. And some way or another, it didn't get off the ground. And I said to him, what happened? And he said, the only thing that I know is that the man that was really in charge never said, stop. And so the thing fell through, and, and now it's out, and he's trying to get his money back. Well, you stop to think about that. Someone has got to say somewhere, someplace, that it is time to start. And dear friends, the tragedy of our life, to a great degree, is not because we do not have the ability and capability. It's not because we do not have dreams and visions of what can be. It's not because we don't have great desire. It's not because we don't have a mind that can't see something of the possibilities that you and I have in life. Someone has said that 95% of the tragedy of us as human beings and doing things comes at this point. We're never able to get around to the place where we actually stopped. And you know, I don't have to look at your life to know this. That's all I have to do is look at my own life to know that some of the great things now as time has gone by, and I'm able to look back and see some of the great things that could have been done and should have been done were not done simply because for some reason I didn't commit myself to stop. It is certainly true with us as individuals. It is certainly true with us as a church. It's not that we don't have opportunities. and not that we don't dream dreams and see visions. But the tragedy of us, we never get around sometimes to really committing ourselves to start. And that's precisely what Paul was trying to say. If you read the rest of that 12th chapter and the 13th chapter, you will find that Paul's message to the individual and to the church has come through loud and clear. Now is the time for us to start. The day is the day. Whether we be the church or whether it be within your own personal life. Think about the things that you need to distill within your own thinking and come to a clear concept of what you need to do and then pull the switch or do whatever you need to do to say that we are started and that you have started. Now, there are schools of thought here concerning this business of starting. It's sort of interesting. No matter what the opportunity is and no matter what the capability is, there are those who say, I can't. I'd rather not, I won't, and no matter what the situation is, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I have met those people again and again and again. And what a tragic situation it is. What a pity how sad it is. 
And then there are those who think like this, they're on again and off again. Their interest span ranges anywhere from one month to one year or two years. And somehow or another, we just never get around being systematic in what we're doing or never really get off the ground to really do the job. I am thinking about a person that is a young person, and I lost track of him when he graduated from high school. And he decided that uh, college was not for him. And so he took a job tending bar in one of our country clubs here within the city. That's the last place I heard that he was, where he was working. And then the other day over here, I think it was at Suburban Hospital or maybe the Baptist East, there came a young man walking down the hall. It was one of those things that doctors usually wear around their neck. And I recognized, I recognized my boy, growing up to be a young man now. And I was ever amazed. I said, what happened? He said, well, I woke up to the fact that I was going to be a bartender the rest of my life unless I went back to school. He went to night school. And now he's finishing up his medical education and ready to become a full-fledged doctor. Wouldn't it have been a tragedy if he had continued on of being what he was and never reaching the ability and capability that he had the mental power to be and to be of help to a great number of people. On again and off again. And then there are those of us who come along to the place somewhere within our life and we say that I have done what needs to be done. And we talk about in the past the big things that we have done and all the wonderful things that we've been involved in. And I was reminded this past week by my daughter being in town. And they talk about the hard time that they had. And then I tell them, hmm, you should have been back when I was a kid. I had to walk three miles to, to even get to school. You know. And I remember one time my daughter stopped right there for the hold a minute. And now you started out, it was three miles, and now you got it up to six miles. <laughs> you know. Well, what I'm saying is, isn't it not so that the things that we did in the past, a great deal of it is up here, you know. It's not quite as bad as we, we make it out to be. And over the years, we make it a little bit bigger as we go along. Well, I make it a little bit bigger. I don't know whether it's three miles or ten miles, but it seemed like it was ten miles to me. But then my legs were shorter back then. <laughs> Living in the past. And not coming to grips uh, with the possibilities that you have today. Uh, that's sad. And there are those people who talk big. And there are those people who act big. And there are those people thank God who start big and they are big. And the fact is that when they fail, they fail big. <laughs> but why not? If you're going to fail, well, have a hold of something that is so tremendous that the people around you will know that you failed. You know, I have a great deal of admiration for a mountain climber. Because there they are, out there on the side of that mountain, trying to scale the mountain. Out there up in front of God and everybody. If they fail, everybody can see it. I admire them. Lord God, that more of us as being the children of God and being people who are committed to Christ, would to God that we would take hold of something that's so tremendous that if we go through with it and be God's will, that uh, we'll lift the roof. But if we fail, well, let it be. We tried. We tried. 
we have an overgrown excuse maker. What is keeping you from reaching your true potential as God has created you? There's a Baptist preacher preaching this morning out here off of Preston Street in the east end of our town, I would guess, or southeast end of our town. And he tells the story on himself. He says as a kid in school, coming home, there's a guy that used to beat up on him. Some other kid used to beat up on him about every day. He came in one day crying to his father. And his dad said to him, what in the world's wrong with you? And he said about Tommy beating up on him. He says, well, he says, why don't you show Tommy your potential? He said he didn't know what his father meant, but he went back to school the next day. And sure enough, old Tommy coming home wanted to beat up on him. Said he lit into old Tommy and just fairly took him apart. Said he came in, had a smile on his face, but he was pretty well roughed up himself. His father said, well, what happened to you? He says, I showed Tommy my potential. <laughs> and he said, that was the last of Tommy beating up on him. Well, what is your potential? And have you ever given a demonstration of your potential to your life in this world in which you live? Or do we come to a place where you say, I am worn out? And what we really mean by that, that we have reached a comfortable place in life and we don't want to be bothered anymore. We just want to live here, settle down, pitch our tent, take it easy. I always say that I'm too old. I read, as you did in Time Magazine, that George Byrne, within the last, uh, what, four years, five years, became a movie idol. Now, he's been on the stage a long time. And here this man is 80-some years of age. You think about there's a list of people and the Reader's Digest this month. The great list of them in there is that what they have done when they were about 80 years of age. But I remember so very much that the spirit of that lady that Johnny Carson had on his show a year or so ago. And if I'm not badly mistaken, there she was somewhere about 90 years of age. She'd been all over this world three or four times. Her money ran out. She wanted to make one more trip. And so she had busied herself the last year or so gathering up the cans in the city where she lived, aluminum cans. And she was selling them and saving the money so she could make this trip around the world again, one more trip. And you know, she was so close to it, I think they made up the rest of the money on the show that night. Oh. And here this lady was way into time that you wouldn't think people to be traveling around this world alone. Oh, I love that spirit. I hope I'm able to guide my wheelchair at that age right carefully. But the spirit that dwells within us, that God has given to us, that can be fantastic, that can be wonderful. But we use the excuse, well, I can't do that because I haven't any education. It's amazing sometimes how dumb we really get. Or I haven't any money. It's only God's people that don't have money. God has everything. But sometimes we plead the case of being so poor. Well, we're not poor. We're not poor in spirit. And we're not poor here at Watkins. Now, the Lord may have a hard time getting hold of that money, but we're not poor. We're not poor. I bombed out. I talked to two people this week. One, a young lady, and you don't know, have any ideas, nobody around this church. They won't be coming to this church. They're close to the other side of town. I will never be coming here. Uh, but I've tried to build up to them in times past and call again. And this marriage she's in is bombed out. And she says, I'll never get married again. Never. And immediately I thought back to my friend that I was talking to on a Wednesday. 
And it's about his fifth marriage, and he said the same thing a year ago. He said, after this one, the fourth one, I'll never get married again. Six months, he's married again. So we get bombed out and say, we'll never do it again. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if we in the church, and if we would just go ahead and do what we ought to do, systematically, faithfully, dynamically, every day. Dear friend, if we're going to do what we ought to do, if you're going to make the most of your life, if you're going to make the most of your situation, if you're going to fulfill your life, if you're going to show to this world your potential, if you're going to reach your potential, it's going to be done precisely as Paul says here within the Scriptures. There's only one way it can be done. And that is that Paul tells us and instructs us in the name of God, born by the renewal of your mind. Renew your mind. Understand its ability and capability. And bring it in line with the way that God created you and lay hold to that to which he has Deem for you to lay hold of. You know your mind, that brain of yours, is the most beautiful thing, the most learned, the most educated, the most capable still trying to unlock this brain of ours. It is the most fantastic computer that you could ever possibly dream of. The capability, if it could be duplicated within Electronic piece of equipment, they tell me, to take up more than one block. Think about that. It is such a marvelous thing. It's such a marvelous thing. I read here the other day where you can run a computer. And it's really something for a small business to have this uh, machine to, or piece of equipment to help it with its business. But you don't have to rent one. My friend, God gave you one. And he gave to you a fantastic one. It's a beautiful thing. And it's so unique that that heart of yours will follow your mind. Did you know that? Did you know your heart will follow your mind? You think it's the other way around, don't you? But it's not. I tell you, you tell me what you think about, and I'm going to tell you what your heart's going to respond to. And I'll tell you something else. Your feelings are going to follow your mind, too. You're not careful. You think it's the other way around, but it's not. You think. And tell me what you think. And systematically think, and I'll tell you in what direction your feelings are going to go. It's just as sure as there'll be another sunrise. That's exactly the way that God created you. Now let me tell you something about that brain of yours. I don't care what you want to do or where you want to start or what's out there in the future. You do not have to see all the way. You do not have to resolve every problem and difficulty before you start. You don't have to do that. You cannot do that. You ought not even try to do that. I think about these two young people with an old jalopy where they're going to make a 4,000-mile trip. Anyone can look at the old car and know that if it made the first 100 miles, it's going to be doing extremely well. And so I said to one of them, I said, you're not going to try to do it with that thing, are you? He said, yeah, we are. We're going to start. We're going to do it. I shook my head. He says, now don't you worry about that. He says, we're perfectly capable, listen to this. He says, we're perfectly capable of making any decision that we have to in relation to this car or anything else we meet on this trip. And my soul heard the angels sing. Oh, to God, that we had such a spirit within the church. We are capable of whatever we make our mind up and whatever God calls to do on this trip of 4,000 miles or 50 years or 100 years. 
We are more than capable of adjusting the situation, facing it, doing what we have to at the time we have to do it. Now, don't you feel that way? Well, of course you do. And you know you can. Because you're a capable person and you're able to make decisions. Someone told Livingston, I've been reading his journal again, told Livingston when he went into the continent of Africa, told him, said, well, we'll never hear from you again. It has a way of swallowing up people. Well, he went, crisscrossed that continent more than one time, and it didn't swallow him up. The only thing that killed him was something that takes the microscopic to see. It was a little bitty thing, wasn't it? Of course, the line nearly killed him. But he died from something that took the magnifying glass to pick it up. Oh, what has God called for us to do? What position has he put us in upon the face of this earth? Is it not to subdue this world, to conquer it, to train it, to tame it? And to get on with the business of making it a better place in which to live for you and for me? Well, don't we believe this? And dear friends, you do not need the strength today for tomorrow. It'd be difficult for me to convey to you what this meant to me when I discovered this truth for myself. And I was reading one day in the Old Testament after I'd made this tremendous discovery. I don't need the strength today for what I might face tomorrow. I don't. They don't have to worry about my strength what I'm going to have tomorrow. But whatever comes. And I was reading in the Old Testament in this old prophet a long time ago. It just blew my mind when I found that I thought I was so smart. And here's a man 4,000 years before me knew it more perfectly than I did. And he said, as a day, so shall your strength be. Listen to that. Listen to that. As a day, so shall your strength be. What in the world are you worrying about tomorrow for? The promise of the living God to us is that I will give you the strength that you need at this moment. Now, we'll think about it come tomorrow, and we'll look into the situation then, but you're not going to get the strength today that you need uh, tomorrow. Now, let me tell you how the Holy Spirit operates, in case you may not know. He operates this way, just like the manna of old. They could only have a supply for one day. You couldn't go out and gather up enough manna for two or three days. It didn't work that way. The Word of God to the People of Israel said, you gather only enough for your need that day. Now, if you can apply the manna situation to the Holy Spirit, it's exactly the way that it is. Exactly the way that it is. Tell me what your need is today, and I'll tell you what supplies at hand for you. Let me know what it's going to be tomorrow, if you can. And I can tell you tomorrow, if you're ready to meet that situation, you can trust it to be so. That his commitment to us is precisely the same. You know, I like the story in the Old Testament of Samson. Samson was some kind of a fellow. He was a strong man. And I like the way that the writer talks about Samson. You remember after he had been taken by the Philistines and, and put down into the big mill and made to grind there, hooked up to the mill like an animal, and made to grind the grain for the Philistines. And around, day after day. And then the Philistines had a great celebration. And all of them came to the upper chamber of the mill and where's the banquet hall and they were all gathered there. And so they were going to make a sport of old, old Samson and so they brought him out. Looked more dead than alive. Unkept. Unclean. 
And he asked his guide, because you remember he was blind, they put his eyes out. And said to his guide, the man that let him know, he said, between the two posts that hold the temple, two massive columns that held the temple up. And he put Samson between these two posts. And I like what the scripture says. And it says the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And he put one arm around one pillar and one around the other and pulled the building down. And killed more Philistines than he'd ever killed before in his life. The power of God coming upon this man. I like the story of the three Hebrew children, too, because it speaks more perfectly to a point. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And the old king called them before him and said, Now, if you don't bow down to me and pray to me and look to me as God, I'm going to throw you into that furnace. I've always wondered what they had that furnace for. But anyway, he said, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And so one of them said, and I like this, look at the commitment here. It says, O king, you have the power to throw us into that furnace. If it be the will of our God, he will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we are still not going to worship you. And I like that. Committed. Committed. Commit yourself in such a way that unless God comes to your rescue, you're dead. You're not going to make it. Old Elijah, up there on the hill, with all the, the priests of Baal, and he built an altar. Said, we're going to decide who's really God. Look at this. We're really going to decide who is God this day. And he built an altar. They built an altar. So you offer your sacrifice first. And you know, they, they offered their sacrifice. They cried, and old Elijah's over there looking at him and laughing. And he said, well, why don't you holler a little louder? Maybe he's out there walking. Maybe he's asleep. And then came Elijah. He built his altar, laid his needle upon it. And it has been a drought for seven years. I don't know where he got the water. But anyway, he got water and poured all over that sacrifice. If that's not putting God on a spot, I don't know what is. Put it on there, and he says, Now, Lord, it's your turn. And the Lord honored him. Burned up the stones, licked up the water. There wasn't anything left. Friends, let me tell you something. Whatever these men of old had, think about it in closing. Consider what God has done for us, for you, and for me. If these men were so bold and bold, how much more bold should you and I be today? When you have given to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, died. Given to us, he said, I, I'm given to you a place in the kingdom. And if I have given to you, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I come again, I'm going to receive you this myself, where I'm you might be also. Be secure. Nail down. You don't have to worry about that anymore. It's done. Jesus did it. Now we have that. But he didn't stop there. He said, now I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a spirit that can empower you to do what you need to do today for me, for the kingdom, and that you can think of to fulfill your life. I come back to Paul. And I would say, as he said of long ago, let's talk to friends to live. Completely. And fulfill our lives and 
secure our destiny with God. You do it for your own self. Dear friend, it's not selfish for you to try to reach your fullness of your life and to have a full and to be happy and to be at peace. It's not selfish. Do it for your own sake of your own soul. Do it for the sake of those you love and hold dear to your home. Do it for the sake of your church. Do it for the sake of your heavenly Father. And you see, it is a fact of life that if you fulfill your life as God has intended for you to, become the person that God intended for you to be, and to be the thing that God intended for you to be, you will not only find that you have fulfilled your life and made something fantastic, but you have actually made it easier for me to live. In other words, dear friends, we have in our community, our church, our home, a better place than just live. Isn't that fantastic? Well, our Father, then on it, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.